0: This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting, different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. So, welcome, board folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time at Core Brain Journal, and we're treating again. We're getting treated again by the presence of a a really internationally prominent personality who is bringing the gift of tremendous information, so useful information for the evolution of mind science. In this particular, it's Dr. Bill Walsh. Thanks for coming on, Bill.
1: Well, it's my pleasure.
0: And Bill is going to tell us on this particular episode something about autism. And even before I begin this, I want to draw your attention to the fact that Dr. Walsh has been with us for three previous episodes to have been republished because they're so popular. His uh, initial presentation on methylation is now at CoreBrain Journal 115. Uh, His copper and cryptopyrrole presentation was republished at 137. And his original bipolar and schizophrenia episode is published at 042. All of them are just remarkable and so interesting. And that's one of the reasons people just uh, download them like crazy because he's really uh, has some very innovative ideas. And today is going to be, in this particular episode, autism. But before we get started, let's talk a little bit and message from our sponsors. CBJ listeners know already how much we love the reality of data here at CBJ. And today we welcome our clinical friend and our new sponsor partner, Direct Health Access Laboratory. With over 3 million studies and deep peer-reviewed evidence, they are deep leaders of experience with the big picture of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges. I did say deep twice, but that's okay. They're a global service with a molecular focus. Stay tuned more in mid-episode. And in addition, CBJ listeners also know how much we appreciate detailed improvements of mind care, on many different levels. Today, we're pleased to welcome an additional new sponsor and partner with a deep interest in comprehensive, fresh options to address the complexity of adolescent treatment failure nationally and internationally. For 80 years, the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center Teams in Norfolk, Virginia, provide residential care on an evolved family, interpersonal, and global level, And Comprehensive is what they do. Take a look at their website. And by the way, they're TRICARE friendly more later. So let me tell you just a little bit about Dr. Walsh. I want to send you back to the other show notes, but I think it's important to note right at the outset that Dr. Walsh is president of the nonprofit Walsh Research Institute near Chicago and directs physician training programs in the U.S., Australia, and Norway. He's also been to Japan, I recall. During nutrient system, pardon me, during his 30 years uh, of research uh, as a scientist and engineer, Dr. Walsh developed a science-based nutrient system that has helped thousands of patients challenged by behavior disorders. And this is a key issue. See if there's anything we didn't check off. Depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, ADD autism, Alzheimer's disease, and is used by doctors throughout the world even for personality disorders. Now, we used to think when I was a kid that psychoanalysis was the treatment for personality disorders, and we, as they say in the street, have come a long way. So Dr. Walsh, uh, Dr. Walsh's research biomedical details uh, really changing the whole uh, picture of insufficient treatment with modern psychopharmacology. His book, Nutrient Power, describes his findings and the advanced nutrient therapies which correctly uh, address biochemical and methylation imbalances that are causing learning, behavioral, developmental, and mental health issues, and the topic for this evening, autism as well. So, welcome aboard, Bill. So, thank you so much again. I just love talking to you. And tell us a little bit about what's going on with you. You said something offline before we got started. You're writing one book, and you've got another book you're, you're already working on. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing in that regard, and then we'll get into the subject of autism.
1: Well, I'm all excited about uh, the area of bipolar disorder. Uh, in clinical work, I had seen more than 1,600 patients diagnosed with, with bipolar disorder. And I was always disappointed at uh, our lack of understanding of what that condition is. So about three years ago, uh, working with a noted psychiatrist, uh, we started delving into the neuroscience and the very and the many mysteries of bipolar. And uh, we we um, appear to have gotten um, successful. And and we now believe we have actually based on new research, wonderful research by many different people. We believe we now understand the underlying mechanism of bipolar. We found a single mechanism that explains everything, the onset of mania, the descent of mania into depression. We found that mania causes bipolar depression. And then we understand it also explains why um, a a period of, of depression results in a return of mania and why people can be trapped in these cycles of mania and depression the rest of their lives so that book is about 80 percent finished and we're i'm looking forward to finishing it because the next book i'm writing the the title of the book is the end of autism Uh, we have a strategy for eliminating autism from society and it's not at all the direction that most of my my friends and colleagues are taking with respect to autism but it's something that he has me very excited. And I think, I think it is the ultimate solution to, to autism.
0: Well, uh, how do you differentiate? If you don't mind my probing a little bit on that, how you see this book is differentiating from some of the things that are currently at play in the treatment of autism. And then we can actually take that trip down that biomedical path as we want to discover
1: more about autism. Well, um, first of all, I started working with autistic patients in uh, the late 1990s, and by 1999, which is 18 years ago, uh, I was contacted by the great Bernie Rimland, who was the, you might say, the godfather or the soul of autism research, um, of a complementary medicine type, and he, he found out that I had seen more autistic patients than anybody in the world, and I had the world's biggest chemistry database for depression. And so that's how I got started really with the autism community. And uh, he asked me to come to one of his think tanks every year, or maybe sometimes twice a year. He would have people from all around the world, researchers, clinicians, names of people that, that, are, that are still well known in the field of autism. And he asked me to present to the group what I, what I had learned about autism. And, and um, so I did. And it was really an interesting meeting. There were about 70 people around this, sitting in chairs or in this very large room in a circle around talking to each other. And I gave this presentation, um, a PowerPoint presentation, showing what we found. And for example, we found that virtually every autistic child had severe oxidative stress. Everybody already knew that. I mentioned that most of them were zinc deficient. Everybody knew that. I mentioned that many of them had a copper dysregulation. Everybody knew that. I mentioned there was about 35% of them had pyrrole, this thing called pyrol disorder. Again, no surprises. And then I pointed out that our data showed, by the way, our population was at that point a couple thousand cases. I, I, I reported to them all that more than 95% of autistic children and adults are under-methylated. And they all said, what? (laughs) At that point, all these researchers uh, had never thought about methylation as being important in autism. And um, so that was what everybody's interest was. So they asked me to come back, and I I gave presentations on methylation related to autism probably over the next two years. Well, then, uh, since all these people were checking on it and finding it was true, Well, Eventually, um, some of the world's leading methylation experts got involved, Dr. Jill James, Dr. Richard Deff, and there's a few others, but these are are classic uh, researchers, mainstream researchers, and and they've they've done a wonderful job of publishing articles, and now we know that methylation is really important in autism, and uh, now most people who are under-methylated are born with this tendency. And that includes the autistics, and also a number of other people. In fact, Doctor Charles, I'm pretty sure that you are undermethylated, and I know that I'm undermethylated. <laughs> fact, yeah, we're in the club. <laughs> out of out of thirty thousand people I've studied um, in the general population, twenty two percent of Americans are undermethylated. Eight percent are overmethylated, and that's something that a lot of um, people don't focus on. That you can be either overmethylated or undermethylated. At any rate. With autism, it's, it's more than 95%, and I think perhaps it might even be close to 100%, and that those who aren't might be misdiagnosed. So so uh, now, uh, what does it mean if you're born under methylated or with an under-methylated tendency? It almost always means that you have a SNP, one or more SNPs, uh, single nucleotide polymorphisms, that really are, are mutations and gene expression of, of a protein and um, now we, we, there's been a lot of studies now in fact it's, it's, it's almost become um, a fad I don't want to say a fad so much but everybody seems to be just hypnotized by the methylation cycle and there's this complex methylation cycle that enables methylation to be regulated and fairly normal in most humans and again, some people are under methylated, others are over methylated. 70% of Americans have normal methylation. Okay, so um, the uh, what the experts told us and made it clear, the, our, our, you might know, say our, our university researchers, um, the focus often is on the, the part of the cycle that it's called folate methylation uh, recycling. And it has to do with one of the um, one of one of the enzymes that enables the system to work well, and that is called MTHFR, and that's an enzyme. In fact, it's a big guy. It's more than MTHFR has more than 500 amino acids. Its molecular weight is something like 1500 or so, or even higher, 15,000, I think. So it's and, and it has again more than 500 amino acids. Well, what is MTHFR? That, that SNP, that mutation, means that you've got one amino acid that's out of place. That's all it means. So out of these 500 amino acids, 499 are in the right spot. One of them's got an uh, so, uh, 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 amino acid that shouldn't be there. And, and now there's a lot of SNPs in, uh, in that MTHFR. There, in fact, there seem to be more than 80 of them. However, it matters uh, the the location of a SNP is really important, and the, the two most important ones are the the uh, the uh, 677T, and the, the numbers relate to their position on the DNA actually, and um, on, on this particular yeah on the DNA, and the other is a 1298T, and the numbers go up to more than you know there's there's so many different possibilities. Well, anyway anyway. <coughs> This is usually the reason why some people are under-methylated. I think, I'm, I, think I have probably homozygous, uh, which means two copies of the, of the 677T. I don't bother to check it because I, I don't think it matters for me to do that. Uh, and I, I was born with a tendency for undermethylation. Most doctors are, which is why, I, and knowing you, I think you probably are too. Yeah. Uh, because of what, there are good aspects and nasty aspects of undermethylation. People who are under-methylated tend to be obsessive compulsive. They tend to be perfectionists. They tend to be competitive. They tend to, um, uh, they tend to do their best in school. And if they get into a sports, they, they really want to win. Anyway, um, that describes a lot of doctors, scientists, CEOs, e- even um, even presidents of the United States, I suppose. And, and uh, one of the, there are, however, there are a few nasty aspects of this for some people. For for some people, undermethylation can mean low serotonin activity and depression. For others, it can mean obsessive compulsive disorder, and for children, it it seems to have some tendency or predisposition for autism. No, so the question for me always has been: Is what is autism? I've now seen more than six thousand five hundred cases at one time with the doctors I worked with. We had seen more autistics than anyone in the world. And again, we have the world's largest chemistry database. I think still today. Um, so, um, but the real question is, what is it? Uh, once in a while, some some children are born with autism tendencies and autism disorder, but more than eighty percent have this thing called regression. Now, I've talked to hundreds, hundreds of families and heard this really sad story where they talk about having a child born who seemed typical and, and just healthy and, and lovable and enjoyable. And we talked about how this child at the age of a year and a half, 18, 19 months, was beginning to talk, beginning to sing, a uh, pleasure to be with, smiling, happy, charming their grandparents and all of that. And then in a very short period of time, often, not always, but often, in a very short period of time, Sometimes just a matter of days or a week or two, everything changed and this regression came in and typically many of them lost speech completely. Their behavior changed. They no longer had eye contact. They had a divergent gaze. They did not want to be with other children or with the family and they would often just go off to the side by themselves and they had odd repetitive movements. Many of them for the first time developed difficulty and, and, and tolerating foods they had tolerated before just a massive change in functioning so it's, it's always concerned me uh, that we don't really know what happened I mean what what on earth is going on in the brain that could cause such a dramatic change in functioning and it seemed to be likely to possibly be an event that because in so so many cases it happens really suddenly um, so uh, I've been researching that and trying to understand that for quite a while, as have many of my colleagues. Um, so my, my focus partly has been on the brain itself and what could cause remarkable changes in brain function that could make this kind of a change. So about eight or nine years ago, I became convinced that autism is an epigenetic disorder. That is a disorder in which uh, environmental insults or physical trauma can permanently change gene expression, permanently change the the nurturing of our cells that goes on all day every day. Every one of our cells, including our brain cells, is nourished every day by our DNA because our DNA specifies and, and choreographs all these wonderful proteins and enzymes that are 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 provided for every cell for its functioning and in epigenetic disorders and by the way an example of an epigenetic disorder is cancer we now know that cancer is an epigenetic disorder caused by environmental insults usually with people who are predisposed to cancer in this case i'm quite certain that autism is an epigenetic disorder and that explains the a couple of things it explains um it explains why there's such a sudden change in these kids that happens rather suddenly, because usually it's a single event that affects many genes. It explains why autism is such a complex disorder. We know their brains are different. They develop differently. We know that many of them have speech problems. Many of them have severe immune problems. Many of them have digestive problems and food sensitivities, and on and on. So there's many different systems that have been affected, and uh, that's, that's classic for a, 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 a disorder that is epigenetic. Another of the greatest mysteries of autism, and I remember this from some of the, the, the think tanks that I've been at, and some very smart people like Martha Herbert and others uh, would often say that the, the, the greatest mystery of all of autism is why does it not go away after onset? Because after autism strikes, true autism, um, that classic autism, it does not go away. It, and there's been a multitude of, of aggressive therapies and yet it, once it comes, it doesn't leave. That's another classic um, a classic um, feature of epigenetic disorders. Because epigenetic disorders involve a permanent change in gene expression, which means a permanent change and functioning, and yes, it can be sometimes successfully treated, but it's always a challenge, and and in many cases, uh, the this child who develops autism uh, will, will have a difficult battle the rest of their lives. It just doesn't go away. So that uh, has led me to, uh, of course, having had 6,000-plus autistic families asking for our help and our doctors trying our best to help them uh, we've spent a lot of time addressing their abnormal biochemistry their um their lack of development Uh, my focus has mainly been on the brain because i know that autism brains are different they have we know that they're they have these mini columns of of brain neurons that aggregate together that go through the cortex, through the six layers of the brain's cortex, and they're different than autism. They're narrower. Um, we, we know that uh, different parts of the brain are not as well developed. We know that Broca's area and Wernicke's area in the brain are, are not functioning as well and are oftentimes found to be smaller in size and in some cases almost shriveled. That's where speech development occurs um we know that their hippocampus and their cerebellum parts of the brain are quite different um so uh now that's not the whole story of course we still have the gi tract problems immunity and all of that um but my focus has been on on the brain and uh we've developed a number of therapies that that have helped a lot of people we I've, I've had the joy of watching hundreds of autism parents um, tell us after a while that their child had recovered that it had all been resolved and, and um, uh, I was in Australia uh, last year and I met a young man that we'd seen when he was two and had severe autism and it took a, quite a while but uh, he now is a high school graduate going to college and I met him and he is typical he he's come back all the way now that doesn't happen at a high enough percentage of cases. I mean, um, I have to say that in most cases, we have a, a nice partial improvement without a complete recovery. And uh, 85% of our patients in outcome studies say that, that they have had a significant improvement, but only about 10 or 15% said that they had recovered. Um, it's just a very complex and difficult condition. Uh, autism is not a single condition There's an old saying, once you've seen one autism patient, you've seen one autism patient. There's a great difference in them.
0: Yes, Bill, this is a profound insight on the complexity of these issues and the gravity of our conversation today. And on this light note, let's take a quick deep breath and thank our sponsors for their support of your fresh insights on Autism Matters. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure especially after multiple medication trials and those very very brief hospitalizations may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care those next mandatory steps should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges from family to peers to school diagnostically from defiance to depression on every level for families, including military families, internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know? We refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing. So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash CORE. Well, you folks already know that here at Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's D-H-A-L-A-B.com forward slash
1: core. So there's a great focus of all my colleagues, and there are so many dedicated, wonderful scientists and, and clinicians, I, I don't want to start mentioning them um, because I'll leave out some of the most important ones, but uh, they have they have made great, great insights and the ability to help autism kids and adults. And um, we all know that early intervention is everything. Uh, we learned early on that we can make more progress with a two-year-old in uh, one month than we could with a six-year-old in a year. Everybody, there's a lot of controversy and disagreement about what autism is, what the cause is, and the basic mechanisms of it. Um, But that's one thing everybody agrees on. That that it, uh, that it, that it, um, that that's the, the, the early intervention really is important. And it's because it's a developmental disorder. Developmental disorder means that if you don't, if there's not intervention, there's not therapy, that this child will not develop normally and then be usually handicapped. And so early intervention can can uh, impact the brain and also the rest of the body while it's still developing and can cause a lot of that to go better and to, and to be corrected. Um, so that, that has been part of it. Now, many years ago, uh, one of my discoveries was that autistics were low in a, in a protein called metallothionine, metallothionine. And uh, this is a story, by the way, with uh, kind of a sad ending. Um, if one looks at metallothionine, uh, we, we were the first people in the world to ever test this protein, metallothionine, to human beings. And we found that it was unusually low in autism. Now, previously, researchers had found that it was extraordinarily low In in Alzheimer's, in fact, they found that in studying uh, people who had died of Alzheimer's doing cadaver studies, they found that the level of this protein was less than one-third of normal compared to old people who died of something else. Well, what does metallothinine do? It is is one of the primary factors in the blood-brain barrier that keeps nasty things like mercury and other toxics and bad stuff from getting in. It's a barrier. It also is a primary barrier in, um, in, in in the intestinal barrier, and it's again something that keeps things, bad things, from your your food from getting into the bloodstream. It is also <clears throat> the system that regulates and normalizes and, and, and copper and zinc, and we know that copper and zinc are d- terribly dysregulated in autism, almost every case, and and so that. Told me, well, that means these people have uh, either a mutation um, or some, for some reason their metallocyanine system is not working. So I got really interested in that, and when I realized that that um, that it also has to do with brain development, metallocyanine is involved in the very beginning of brain development, brain organization, and we also know from from research studies um, where they remove the metallocyanine gene from animals. It, it, one of the major things they found was that it destroys immune function. So it seemed to me that, that, uh, that metallotinine enhancement would be a good idea. So I developed a uh, protocol studying actually more than 800 articles, mostly from Alzheimer's, where people had really studied this. I, I identified nutrients that tended to promote genetic expression of metallotinine and others that improved the functioning of metallothenium once it was expressed. And so I called this metallothenium promotion therapy. I patented it. The reason I patented it was I wanted this to get out there quickly. If this is something that could actually help autistic children, I didn't want, I didn't want to wait two years to submit it to a journal, get it published, and then say, ta-da, I didn't want to do that. Uh, I wanted to get it out there fast. And somebody told me the fastest way my, my board of directors were concerned that I was just going to, you know, just to do it. And so our organization would receive, would receive no credit for it. So somebody suggested, well, why don't you apply for a patent? And that way you can immediately have this all written down and, and documented. So we did, we, we imp- applied for a patent for empty promotion for autism and didn't care whether we got the patent or not. We just wanted to get it out there. So then I started re- giving talks at these big conferences on MT promotion therapy. We also started doing MT promotion therapy on our autistic population. We gave this to more than 2,000 autism patients. Now we do have been the practice of doing outcome studies. In other words, contacting maybe hundreds of consecutive patients, maybe six months or a year after they had come in and finding out what happened. How many of them were better? To what degree had they improved? How many failed to get better? And what we found was this this procedure, MT promotion therapy, um, definitely improved our outcomes with autistic kids. So uh, a few other doctors started doing it. There was a doctor down in New Orleans who did it who was very famous. She told me that it was the best therapy she ever used. And so um, the problem is there are no metallothinine assays that you do in a laboratory that that can do this the the assay that we used involved radioactive mercury
0: oh my gosh it'll
1: never it'll never become a commercial for that reason Mm -hmm. it's it's it's, it was done in canada actually
0: Mm
1: -hmm. by people who had developed this assay so we knew that metallothinine was low in autism and we had good evidence that it was improving however what happened was this got to be really well known and there's a lot of excitement in the autism community when i presented this at a couple meetings and a couple of um a couple of labs thought wow this could be a real you know market for us and two labs started offering a metallothione profile where they would test blood samples for metallothione they did the test wrong they didn't realize or they didn't, it didn't require quality samples to get to the lab. They had to be frozen. And uh, they did it all wrong. And I started seeing families coming into us saying, well, my child's methylphenidate level is high. The answer is no. So that really, for even today, there are very few doctors that are using empty promotion therapy for autism. Uh, I, I know of a couple hundred who are doing it. And they tell me it's better. It really seems to help. But it's something that sort of fell by the wayside, I think, because of corporate greed, actually. I'm not going to mention the labs, of course. Um, anyway, um, after a while, uh, I got really interested in the neuroscience of the brain and the neuroscience of autism. And um, so I guess to, to come to where I am now, I've become convinced that the ultimate answer to autism is prevention. And also, I believe we have the ability to identify the percentage of kids that are really vulnerable to autism. We can identify that with special lab tests right after they're born. And we can actually test them every six months or so and identify if they're on the verge of an epigenetic event. Because epigenetic events like cancer and like autism i believe involve um dna loss of dna integrity because your dna has to retain integrity gene by gene chromosome by chromosome in order to get the right chemicals provided to different parts of the brain. <clears throat> so um and we know what the weak link is and a lot of this is, is rather brilliant cancer research the weak link in our DNA is guanine, G-U-A-N-I-N-E. It has the highest charge. It has. It's the most weakest. It's the weakest part of the of the DNA to oxidative stress. Most epigenetic disorders, like cancer, are caused by by oxidative stress that overwhelms the ability of DNA to be repaired. Your DNA all day every day is really massacred. I mean, more than 10,000 times a day. Every one of our DNAs is ripped apart. However, it's also repaired by DNA repair mechanisms. The mechanisms, by the way, um, have all been worked out. And the three guys who worked it out two years ago got the Nobel Prize. And they deserved it. But with respect to autism, what happens is, I believe, that regression basically is an event. And an event when... Your DNA in many different locations for different genes and different cell types, with many different cell types, um, it alters gene expression and alters the nourishment of these parts of their bodies. And 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 the problem, there's good news and bad news with an epigenetic disorder. This is true of of cancer. It's true of post-traumatic stress. I believe bipolar disorder is epigenetic. Schizophrenia, I'm sure, is epigenetic. In other words, a mental breakdown is coincident with environmental insults that overwhelm our DNA, our DNA's ability to remain intact. So um, I believe that the, the, I really believe that ultimately the true answer to autism is that it will follow the history of polio. And polio, if in, I think you might be you're younger than me but I think you might be old enough to remember back in the days and in, in, in maybe in the 50s 60s even still then um, polio was something that was rampant in, in the country and around the world and there were all these children that were on in wheelchairs or iron lungs or um, crutches and um, there were at least 30 years went by since this was discovered and there were all these doctors Trying and scientists trying to find ways to help these kids, how to how to treat them, give them a better life. And basically, even though there were some improvements, they basically failed. The ultimate solution, the final solution, was somebody discovered what it was. By the way, it wasn't Jonas Jonas Salk. Uh, He he got the Nobel Prize for somebody else's work, but uh, that's another story. But uh, I think what's going to happen in autism is that uh, if it is epigenetic in nature, and I'm quite convinced it is, then the, the good news of epigenetics, the bad, the bad news, by the way, is a very complex disorder and, and, and it requires fighting on many different fronts, the immune system, the brain's different, the you know food sensitivities, on and on and on, all these things that we know about autism. The good news, it's relatively easy to prevent. It's relatively easy to identify people who have a weakened DNA recovery. And there are lab tests today that are not expensive that one can use that can identify people who are on the verge of autism regression. And uh, so um, my next book, which I hope to start in a couple months, the title of it is The End of Autism. I I think scientists and doctors and others need to focus on this because the easy thing is prevention. And the okay. beauty of autism is that if we could identify children who are really prone to autism and they're born with that predisposition uh, and, and if we can, if we can give them treatments, for example, powerful antioxidant therapies to protect their guanine and their DNA, um, all, you only have to do that for three years. Because once you get to three, three, age three, three and a half, they won't develop autism. Virtually all autism happens before the age of four. So that that I think is the ultimate solution. Now, I know a number of the people that might be listening to this are are still wondering, well, what's the best thing I can do with respect to um, helping these children? Uh, I've got some research that I'm about to publish. Uh, I think I'm the, I was the first person ever to study autism brain cells compared to controls. And I did this for a number of reasons. Uh, One of them was mercury. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of controversy regarding whether mercury, it was the triggering event, mercury perhaps from from, um, vaccinations in the old days when kids were given thimerosal. uh, There's been a lot of controversy about whether or not that in fact was the cause of most autism. I've been to autism conferences where there are women walking around with t-shirts to say Autism is a mercury disorder. Um, and mercury, of course, is a poison. And if you have a weakened child prone to autism, and, and if they uh, if they were to get one or maybe and sometimes several vaccinations on the same day, especially if they happen to be sick, something that I've heard many times, um, that could, and I believe that definitely could, Uh, increase the assault on DNA and trigger autism. I have no idea how many, what percentage of autism cases came from that, but I think it was significant. Um, However, uh, knowing metal metabolism, I've been studying metal metabolism for 30 years, and um, mercury has a rather short half-life in the body. Mercury's half-life in the body, in, in, in most of the body, is 42 days. In the brain, the half-life of methyl ethyl mercury—that's the kind of mercury that gets into the brain—is 70 days, and so that means after you know, roughly after five half-lives, it's pretty much gone. And so um, the question is: Can mercury from early exposure, does it stay in the body? Does it stay in the brain? Can it cause continuing harm? I became convinced that that it could not. Uh, For one thing. The amount of mercury that gets in the brain, by the way, metallothionine is the number one barrier, the number one factor that stops mercury from getting in the brain. But if, if whatever mercury gets in the brain, uh, within five minutes or so, it's already done its damage. And probably, uh, once it does damage, probably very unlikely to be able to do any additional harm. So in this experiment, uh, Johns Hopkins and uh, University of Maryland sent me 390 little sections of autism brain cells from children who had died. Children diagnosed with classic autism who died at a young age. And they also sent me control samples of children of similar ages who did not have autism. And I uh, got, I was able to use the, uh, the rather fabulous uh, photon source. At uh, Argonne National Laboratory, and it's a, it's a the number one nano analysis system in the world. And we were able to to scan raster scan across these tiny little brain 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 tissues, and accurately measure about fifteen elements. No one's ever done this before. I'm about to, I've got this, and I'm about to publish it. We found some really interesting things. But one thing I wanted to do was I wanted to look for mercury. Is it still there? The reason I cared is I had thousands, we had thousands of autism families who told us, my child was okay before mercury, and and now he or she is autistic. If I could just get the mercury out of their brains and out of their body, maybe they'll be okay. And my suspicion was that it's no longer there. It may have caused, it may have triggered autism, but I thought they were really wasting a lot of their time and effort and resources on this. So we looked for... Mercury. And I found out that we all have mercury in our, in our brains, in our bodies. By the way, just from breathing, just from breathing, you get one microgram of mercury just from breathing here in the United States. A typical diet provides 15 to 20 micrograms of mercury. Uh, if you have tuna fish for lunch, you might have 50 micrograms of mercury. And we know what normal levels of mercury are in the brain. That's been worked out by by people studying dementia, and most human beings have between five and twenty-five um, billions of of, of, a concentra- of of concentration. Okay, it's not it's not uh, MCGs. We're talking um, billions, and and so we know we know the um, the normal amount, and we couldn't find it the bottom line is in our testing, we could not find any mercury in the brains of the autistics, and every one of them had had thimerosal. So it may have done some damage. It's no longer there, no longer an issue, and and the focus should be in helping these kids should be something else. Um, Anyway, uh, there are many ways in helping uh, autistic children. One other thing I want to mention is that the diagnosis of autism has become looser, Back in, uh, right around 10 years ago, I was doing three different autism experiments with universities. And some of them involved uh, testing autism brain tissues. And um, so I was working with the University of Pittsburgh, Case Western Reserve, uh, people at University of California, Berkeley. And, but we were the source of the samples. We were the ones that had the huge volume of autism families coming to see us. So I always wanted to be really careful about making sure that we had classic autism, that we weren't giving them data in blood samples or or, or DNA samples from from kids who really didn't have it. So I had a, had a, a neuroscience intern that would meet with every family that came into our clinic, and we would test to make sure that they had classic autism. What was really fascinating is up until... 2005, there was only about one out of 30 was questionable and iffy. But after two, 2005, everything changed. And we found that about a third of everybody diagnosed with autism didn't have it. Or at least mm. didn't have classic autism. Is that right? Autism spectrum disorder is what they called it. Mm-hmm. And there's about 13 or 14 classic symptoms associated with classic autism, also known as autism. Well, um, the what we found is that there are a lot of kids who um, who had four or five or six of these classic symptoms, and they said, "Well, they're on the spectrum, they're on the autism spectrum." And these are the kids that are so easy to recover because they don't have the epigenetic disorder. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who can. And there's all these cases now of, of of total recoveries, and the reason is that they they were able to correct their their abnormal biochemistry and, and correct things. Um, for example, we saw a lot of children who um, who um, were quite bright and were kind of nerdy, you might say, and did not and had terrible socialization, but they were very smart. Well, of course, they were considered to be Aspergers or Aspergish, and uh, these are we had seen hundreds and hundreds of children like that before. We knew they didn't have autism, and we could help them in our other parts of our clinic um but now a lot of them are called autism spectrum disorder Mm -hmm. that's so true Um, so i just wanted to mention that i think a lot of people don't know that classic autism canter autism is a shocking thing i mean i've seen so much human misery uh can you imagine what it's like to have a beautiful young child who is uh developing completely normally until they're maybe 18 months old and um and then autism strikes whatever that means and then you've got a child that not only is very troubled and no longer communicating with the family and can't tolerate certain foods and on on, and on um and you go to the experts they tell you it's incurable and this child will be handicapped severely handicapped the rest of their lives that's what they're told can you imagine what that's like to a parent to a family even so many times in my heart goes out to these people. And there's something about autism parents, especially autism mothers, that is different. I mean, I've worked with 30,000 families. Autism families are different. Their degree of dedication and drive to help their child is remarkable. That's so true. I think, I think if you have seen uh, autism families, um, you see that. Now, the first autism family we ever saw came by accident. At the time, we were just working with people who had behavior disorders. ADHD, depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia, and this one in in, uh, late 18, 19, in the late 1900s, 1990s, about 1994 or five, um, this little child came in. He was autistic, and I, and I said to our staff, how did this happen? We don't do autism. And um, I remember he just ran around in circles, and it was impossible to talk to, and uh, we, we ran him through our system. We checked his body chemistry, and lo and behold, he got better. The family reported he was remarkably better. Well, that was the end of it for us. I mean, how can you say no to uh, autism families to think maybe you can help them? I mean, that's how we got started. Um, I think maybe I've talked too much. Why don't we get into a Q and A? You probably have a lot. Of, uh, <laughs> Not at
0: all. I mean, you've done such a good job of laying it out in such a personal way, the struggles that you've had in trying to figure out what you're going to do, the next step, how you put this together. I mean, I think we we really, uh, unfortunately, we're at the end of our time because I have another one I've got to record here soon. But, uh, you know, I can't tell you how much uh, appreciation I feel for the depth and the uh, sincerity of your presentation and, and the uh, encouragement. I mean, what I have right now is just a whole lot of questions that I think a lot of our listeners do. And I think it might be fun to just come back and talk about that point that you raised while we were talking here, while you, while you were mentioning some of the vagaries of the problem. And that is, what do you do about it? I think if we could, if yeah. we could ask you to come back, I think that there's so much that a person can do. And I think it'd be good for us to take a moment, in another, in another, uh, uh, you know, presentation, another core brain journal episode to get down with, okay, here are the findings and here's what you do with those findings. Yeah. I think well, what's happened.
1: yeah, well, what, well, what well, actually well, well,
0: works? I think you've done such a great yeah. job of saying, hey, there's some hope with this problem. We've got good evidence that it's not just plain old mercury. Oh, my gosh, let's go off and go off half cocked. We're going to look at the complexity, and here are some of the complexities that we have to deal with. Now let's take it to the next step and see the application of that, of that yeah. complexity. If that would meet with your approval, I'd love to have you back. And we'll do that because I think this is just this is really kind of a starter for for a complex complex take a look at what's not going on next.
1: Well I'd be happy to do that.
0: That would be great, Bill. I'd appreciate it. And you know what we'll do is I'll I'll fit the sponsors in at the end somehow. You know, they'll be happy with it because they'll be happy that I didn't interrupt a guy like you. That's that's the way it is.
1: It would be fine to interrupt me anytime.
0: Well, no, I just okay. couldn't because it was so darn interesting. So, so I look forward to having you back, Bill. Hey, this worked out pretty well with this recording and the whole situation. <laughs> Your sound came across really well, so it's it's going to be good, and we'll look forward to having you back some soon. Great. It's Thanks great so much, been. Bill. You have you have a good day. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.